From CPR News, this is Colorado Matters. State lawmakers get back to work tomorrow with Democratic leadership, hoping to curtail some of the issues with decorum that plagued the last session. Norms are contagious, and the breakdown of norms are contagious as well. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard than just individuals fighting over Twitter and think of ourselves as the legislative leaders of this institution and of our communities and treat it with the respect that it deserves. I sit down with leaders from both parties to ask about priorities like rising taxes and affordable housing. Well, we're right back in a spot where people may be, once again, being taxed right out of their homes. People of Colorado need relief from taxes. Plus, we talk about how to handle the surge in migrants in our state and ongoing concerns about opioids and public safety. Are you planning to take advantage of Colorado's supercharged EV discounts? If you're in the market for a new electric car, consider donating your old one to Colorado Public Radio. You get a new car, we get your old car. And the proceeds from your tax-deductible donation mean we all get great programming. Find the title, fill out a simple online form, and schedule a pickup. It's that easy to donate your car at CPR.org support. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. Despite its ongoing control at the state capitol, Democratic lawmakers in Colorado are entering 2024 amid a sense of uncertainty, whether it's internal discord or making a decision on how to best wield its supermajority. There's also national and international questions that hit home to contend with, like immigration and the 2024 general election. It's safe to say there's plenty to act upon when the session begins tomorrow. Joining us now at the state capitol to discuss their game plan are Speaker of the House of Representatives, Julie McCluskey. Hi, Hi. there. Hi, Speaker. And Senate President Steve Benberg. Hey, Hello. thanks for having us. As we referenced, there are a number of policy issues to get to, but we would be remiss, Speaker McCluskey, if we didn't begin with you and the challenges you have been facing lately here at the state capitol. Since the end of the last session, two Democratic representatives, Saeed Sharbini of Thornton and Ruby Dixon from Denver's South Suburbs, both resigned after their first year in the House. Both cited their reason as the, quote, polarized and contentious atmosphere in the chamber. Also, just last week, a Denver judge ruled your party violated open meeting laws. This after two other members of your caucus filed a lawsuit alleging similar violations of those laws. One of those lawmakers, Elizabeth Epps, was also among a group of representatives who argue you haven't done enough to support women of color against attacks from Republican members. Please address for us what's happening in this chamber that, given the control held by Democrats, many would argue should have everything going its way. Well, thank you, Chandra, for the question um, or questions. They're important. I want to start by saying uh, that I am deeply committed to the decorum of the House, to ensuring that we engage in civil and respectful debate, that we promote a culture that welcomes all to the conversation on any policy topic. And I remain committed to those values uh, in upholding the dignity of our institution and the democratic process. So let me address a couple of the things that you've raised. 
First, I want to lift up the uh, performance and, and contributions of both Representatives Dixon and Sharbini. Um, they were terrific first-term members and I think delivered on the promises they had made to their districts in carrying the values of their constituents in uh, working on very good policy and I think they both had great success. And in their conversations with me, uh, certainly they had uh, expressed uh, some of their concerns in their, um, as represented in their resignation letters, uh, their hopes for what uh, they, they would see the House to be in the future. The concerns about what has happened in the House uh, may certainly go back to the end of our special session. Um, there were uh, behaviors and actions on the last two days of our special session that I think have concerned many of our members. And uh, those, are, um, those are moments that I have grappled with and have addressed as best I can in this moment. But as we are called to the second session of the 74th General Assembly, my charge to members will be to rise to be their best selves, to demonstrate a level of civility in performing their job, and to perform their job with a level of dignity that honors every member. For specific complaints that have arisen, we have addressed those. We have rules, we have enforced those rules. We have redirected members or gaveled members when their speech or references have been inappropriate. I will tell you that I have had many conversations with members uh, in my office uh, with minority leadership. When a member has stepped out of line, we have also tried to coach and direct in a way that will shape better engagement in the future. Um, it is one thing to call out the behavior when it occurs in the House. It is another to try and foster uh, better relationships and better uh, showing up and doing the job in the future. And I have been strongly committed to that. I will also say that we are in a, a, a moment where the national rhetoric, the, the disrespectful debate, the lack of civility in politics, the name-calling that we've seen from a past president, um, unacceptable behaviors that are, are now starting to show themselves here in Colorado, the level of vitriol we see on social media where people will engage with each other on social media but not face-to-face -face and have a conversation. My door is always open, and when members have brought concerns to me, I have addressed those. I am committed and will continue to do so in the future, and in this moment, I am I am hopeful and excited and ready to get back to work, uh, call my fellow members to join me in that effort, and do all that we can to deliver on the promises we've made to Coloradans. Can you give us some insight into some of the things you will say as you gavel in for this session to better ensure there is no repeat of the behaviors that you described last session? I will speak to certainly the overarching goal the dignity of the institution and the call for civility. I will also be sharing with members our work to bring forward more specific guidance that will help them understand what is okay to say or do when in debate or engaging with others uh, that helps clarify rules that if they've been with us a long time. Those, you know, the rules are a part of our 
our tradition, our history, our heritage. Uh, but society has evolved, and I think helping to bring that clarity so that members are very clear on what specific behaviors are okay and are not, um, I think that will be one specific reference I make during my opening day remarks that um, I hope help members in the work that we embark on now in the weeks ahead. Speaking of Representative Epps, you removed her from her position on the House Judiciary Committee last month. Also, two representatives, Tom Sullivan and Chad Clifford, have reportedly raised the idea of holding a vote of no confidence in your leadership. What's your response? I made changes on our Judiciary Committee because I believe in order to achieve um, our progressive agenda, there were relationships on the committee and concerns I had about that committee's ability to function well. Um, Representative Epps at the end of the special session behaved in a way that violated House rules, rules relating to decorum in numerous ways and at a level and severity that deserved action from myself as Speaker of the House. So that included removing her from judiciary. Senator, what are your thoughts about how we should move forward in this session to avoid the issues that were described in terms of decorum last session? Well, look, I, the, the House and the Senate are very different places. <laughs> and uh, we poke fun at each other all the time, um, whether it's the lower or the upper chamber. But at the end of the day, it all comes down to you have to treat people with respect. You have to honor the seat that you are elected to hold. And we are here to deliberate to debate. Sometimes that looks like fighting about policies we care deeply about. It should never cross over into the space of name calling or attacking um, or getting personal. And sometimes it does. We are here for 120 days, sometimes very late at night. Members could be in committee until three in the morning, have to drive home, get a, a, a week of sleep and come back to, to gavel in at nine. Some of them may have warning committees at 7.30. Um, it's, it can be a stressful environment. I don't think any of that is anything new. There are times, and I agree with the speaker, when we are seeing glimmers of the national political landscape land in this chamber, in these chambers. That is the part that we have to be concerned about, in my opinion, because that is when you lose the ability to do what I think these legislative institutions were set up to do, to represent real people and to solve problems to improve people's lives. When it becomes about a performance or entertainment or yelling at your colleagues from the gallery, it, 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 it quickly, I think, means that all basic rules and how we interact to get to good solutions, it just starts to unravel. Norms are contagious, and the breakdown of norms are contagious as well. We need to hold ourselves to a higher standard than just individuals fighting over Twitter and think of ourselves as the legislative leaders of this institution and of our communities. Um, I think there have been areas where we have slid into uh, bad behaviors and maybe the norms have been reset a little bit and we need to work on that. We need to identify those areas. Um, I don't think 
it is a systemic problem, uh, meaning that most of the 120 days, most of the committee hearings, most of the bills that are introduced and debated are done in a civil, respectful manner and mostly done in bipartisan manners. Senator, we mentioned the supermajority that Democrats hold here in the Capitol. To be clear, it's really a trifecta with the party controlling the House, Senate, and the governor's mansion. And I mention it because among veteran watchers, there's a sense that despite that control, 2023 wasn't a banner year in terms of getting things done. When we spoke with your Republican counterparts, they said they are the group best equipped to provide needed relief to Coloradans, not the Democrats. What's your response to that assertion? And from your perspective, how will the 2024 session differ from the last one? We don't have a supermajority in the Senate. Um, we often kind of refer to as Democrats have a supermajority. We don't. So a supermajority would be 24 members. You need a supermajority to do things like uh, refer a constitutional amendment to the voters. We don't have that. The House does. The Senate does not. So we aren't quite at a supermajority. We're pretty close. Um, we need 18 votes to pass a bill. We have 23 Democrats. That means that, you know, if six Democrats disagree on something, the bill doesn't pass. Hmm. Um, that's a smaller bar. It's a smaller threshold than the House. The House has, you know, maybe more Democrats than they know what to do with sometimes. <laughs> but, uh, you know, the, the, the Senate is a different animal. We do uh, approach the work differently, partially because of our rules, partially because of the culture. The House jokes that we're a, a, a nursing home and everyone's taking naps throughout the day. But we do engage in very uh, deliberate and and vociferous debates. I, I would also push back a little bit that on this narrative that not much got done last year. I mean, I think the Republicans would disagree with that. They would say we got way too much done. Um, and I'm proud of all the work that we did. When you think about the work on, on renewable energy and climate issues, um, we have made so much progress in the last couple of years uh, because of this trifecta. And I'm not saying everything that we've done in the last few years is purely partisan and thanks to the Democrats only, but these are bills that frankly were generally introduced in my first two years, but they always died in the Senate because the Senate was in charge by Republicans. So the trifecta is why I think we are able to deliver on so many issues right now, whether it's universal pre-K, whether it's increased funding for K-12 education um, because of our smart budgeting that we've done at the Joint Budget Committee over the last few years. Uh, whether it is the the work that we've done on equal pay for equal work. So many issues have been delivered last session, but the sessions before that, because of the Democratic trifecta we've had the last few years. Representative McCluskey, would you like to add to that? I would. Thank you, Chandra. I'm sitting here reflecting on the successes of the last session and the special session. I would lift up, you know, we have uh, certainly housing, big topic last session. Uh, some things were successful across the finish line and some things were not. Um, but as you will hear me speak on opening day, um, over the past few years, our focused investments on affordable housing now has uh, sticks in the ground. We're seeing projects all over the state in urban and rural areas, 2,900 housing units coming online, all because of investments that this state has now made. And when we point to the special session, seven bills that provided property tax relief, rental assistance, 
additional benefits to hardworking families from lower incomes through the earned income tax credit, a flattening of TABOR refunds that will ensure that more than a million Coloradans will get more in their TABOR refund to help them during this difficult time. I'm, I'm really proud of our, our efforts on that affordability front. And it, it's okay to note that not everything gets across the finish line. Not every bill succeeds. Sometimes those efforts take multiple years, and that's a good thing. It means the, we've started a conversation. We build on the conversation. We learn what different perspectives there may be. And I think this year in particular, you'll see some of the land use conversation coming back. Um, the, you know, the time over the interim uh, gave Democrats and Republicans chances to engage with one another and their constituents and learn and listen. And so I think legislation will come this year with that input and with those improvements in mind. Well, you mentioned the special session, which was held just before Thanksgiving, and it gave you both and Governor Jared Polis a chance to declare a win on property taxes. But ultimately, that special session had to be called due to your party's original solution, Proposition HH, being soundly rejected by voters. With 2020 hindsight, should you have taken a different approach from the start last year, Senator Finberg? Well, 2020 hindsight's always very convenient <laughs> to have, and obviously we didn't have it at the time. But look, I, I think there were many factors. For, for one, there was at the time when we referred this to the voters, there was a, a different ballot measure that, based on the facts that we had at the time, was headed towards the, the ballot for 2023. And I think that would have been a devastating so-called solution because it would have um, led to essentially defunding schools, libraries, um, our fire departments, et cetera. And we weren't willing to take that gamble. We also knew that there is an issue where a lot of people are facing skyrocketing property tax increases that happened seemingly overnight. And we did want to be part of providing a solution to it, but we want to do it in a way that's equitable, that actually provides real relief to the people who need it, and does it in a way that keeps funding at adequate levels for our local public services. That's what HH was about. Of course, voters disagreed. And we could probably talk all day about the different reasons why. I think it was different for many different people. Part of it was the Tabor aspects. Part of it was it was just confusing. Part of it was that they, you know, some people who don't own a home maybe don't want to provide property tax relief to people who own homes. So, so very diverse set of reasons. We came back because the governor called us on that special session because we still needed to provide some relief to the people that we think needed it the most. Those are working families. Those are seniors on fixed incomes. Um, it does trickle down and impact renters as well. You, you have property taxes increase overnight. You're probably going to have see your landlord increasing the rent. So we thought it was important to still come back and provide some relief. But the difference is that relief is short term. It was essentially a one-year basis. And we know we're sort of living in the perfect storm, right? So th this isn't going to be the case forever. The need for housing after COVID, remote workers coming here, the lack of supply, all of these different factors came together and created this problem. Hopefully that won't be the case moving forward, but we still need a long-term solution and to do something long-term that avoids us getting into this predicament in the future. And that's ongoing. We've put together a bipartisan it's actually a majority Republican commission 
to study this and provide recommendations to the legislature. And I hope that we'll be able to implement something this year on that. Representative McCluskey, what would you like to say about the property tax discussion? You know, the year that we were able to repeal Gallagher um, was a bipartisan triumph, particularly for those of us from rural Colorado. Gallagher was putting on us on a path where that defunding of local services would have been imminent. Uh, we'd be there now. That would mean drastic cuts, whether it's uh, to our schools, our county services, our fire departments. But I believe uh, the careful crafting of a property tax commission, which also was a bill that passed during special session, that property tax commission is now met a couple of times and will be meeting every Friday until March. Um, I hope that group of talented, smart people can come up with a long-term solution for Colorado that has bipartisan support, that protects those local services, as well as providing relief for our, our families, our small businesses, um, so that Colorado remains a, you know, an economy that thrives and isn't choked out by strangulating property taxes. I want to talk about the governor's priorities for a moment. Last session, lawmakers, including many Democrats, rejected his effort to give the state new powers over land use decisions with the goal of building more densely in the future. This year, Governor Polis is still pushing the same priority, but is trying to take a somewhat different approach. He's calling it his Vision 2026 plan, outlining recommendations for the legislature to use in 2024 in areas like transportation and land use and affordable housing. Speaker McCluskey, in looking at the 34-page document, in your view, what's specifically in there that makes it a better path forward heading into this new session? The, the package includes and starts with a strategic statewide and regional perspective on housing needs, a housing, you know, a housing assessment at a level that this state has never engaged in before. It's a part of the conversation we were having last year and the bill that came forward last year that I think had uh, bipartisan support and support from local uh, governments. That piece, that first big important step is critical for everything else that follows. And I am eager to see that bill move forward with, I hope, bipartisan support and enthusiasm uh, because the planning, thinking about and understanding the need is really critical before we address everything else. Um, we don't have the luxury to wait for uh, assessments and planning um, for years. And so I am excited to see that other components of last year's discussion that had broader support. That is where um, I think there will be additional movement, additional conversation, but at least out of the gate, we're, we're gonna do that planning work first. I'd like to conclude by touching base on the impact that a couple of national and international issues are having on Colorado. The first is the conflict in the Middle East. Speaker McCluskey, a number of legislators took part in a rally last month asking Colorado's congressional delegation to push for a bilateral ceasefire between Israel and Hamas. During the special session, pro-Palestinian protesters entered the Capitol and were joined by Epps and another representative, Tim Hernandez, in decrying the situation. It was also mentioned by Sherbini as a factor in his resignation. 
Is there any specific measure you would be willing to entertain, perhaps a bill that could address any aspect of this here in Colorado? It is our jobs as state representatives to carry the responsibility and the call for policymaking that is within our purview. And that is our work. What happens uh, for any elected official is that uh, the vast issues that many of us care deeply about, that impact our constituents, uh, even though at a state level, we may not have a clear and direct ability to influence those things happening on an international stage. We do have a, a bully pulpit, a microphone to be able to share an opinion, a hope, um, a, a deep and, and maybe sad uh, grief. And we have members in both chambers who uh, represent our Jewish and our Palestinian communities. And I have looked to their leadership and invited their conversation in how we speak to these issues on a broader stage. I don't know what policy may come forward that members would ask for or hope for. Um, what I will ask of our members is that engagement on this topic must be deeply mindful of all Coloradans on both sides of the issue we represent such diverse communities, and our ability to represent those with heart and compassion is critical. The other issue is immigration. In the last year, the city of Denver has absorbed more than 31,000 migrants from Venezuela. If the current pace continues, Mayor Mike Johnston says the city may have to spend more than $180 million to help them. Similar things are happening to a much smaller extent in other Colorado cities. So far, the state has given Denver about $8.5 million to deal with this, with Democrats in Washington asking the Biden administration for more money. Speaker McCluskey, what role, if any, should the legislature play in this situation? Yeah, thank you. I, such an important question. And we have seen uh, migrants now in my part of the world, up in the high country, uh, Representative Velasco had made me aware of over 100 migrants that were sleeping under a bridge in Carbondale in her district. And she had reached out, really appreciate her leadership in trying to find resources for those individuals and families. And just recently, our joint budget committee entertained an emergency supplemental um, at the request of our governor to better support and provide funding for migrants here in Denver and elsewhere in the state. I believe that was a $5 million request and it did pass through our joint budget committee. And I'm pleased to say those dollars are now, uh, or will be on their way to help support. You know, at the end of the day, we're talking about human beings. And I think Denver's efforts to support, provide a compassionate response upon their arrival, help them transition, into communities here or in other states, you know, those efforts are certainly appreciated and I, you know, want to give a nod to Denver's leadership on this front. Senator Finberg, should more money be made available to assist these Venezuelan migrants? And if so, where do you see that money coming from? Well, I think we, we have 
an obligation to do everything we can to ensure their safety and make sure that folks that are fleeing horrible situations are taken care of. Should the state provide more funding? Yes. How much? I, I can't say. I don't know the ins and outs of, of the programs and the need of what's going on at the city level. Um, but I absolutely agree that we need more assistance from Congress, from Washington. Obviously, immigration is a federal issue and is impacting our communities all over the country. But we also have to recognize that this isn't a sustainable approach. And it's not something that it's not an immigration system that makes any sense to be doing it this way. And we need to take a, a strong look at this from a federal perspective. Obviously, cities and states should do absolutely everything they can to ensure basic safety and accommodations and rights are respected. Um, but we do need to lean on our federal delegation and the White House and Congress to, to, to help communities like Denver. Thank you both for your time. Thanks for having us. Appreciate the conversation. That's House Speaker Julie McCluskey and Senate President Steve Finberg in the Democratic majority at the state capitol. When we come back, I'm joined by Republican leadership about the challenges and opportunities they see heading into the legislative session, which starts tomorrow. This is Colorado Matters from CPR News and KRCC. If you want to name a mountain in Colorado, where do you start? Why does Denver sometimes smell like dog food? Is there actually a spring in Colorado Springs? These are the kinds of Colorado questions we've gotten and answered in the CPR newsroom. And we want to hear from you, too. Ask your question at CPR.org slash Colorado Wonders and help us all discover more about our state of wonders. Made possible in part by the Colorado Health Foundation. This is Colorado Matters on CPR News and KRCC. I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. We just heard from Democratic legislative leaders about their plans for the session that starts tomorrow. Now let's turn to the Republicans, who face an uphill battle on almost every major issue because they're vastly outnumbered in both chambers. Still, House Minority Leader Mike Lynch of Wellington and Senate Minority Leader Paul Lundine of Monument said their members have set big priorities for this year. I spoke with them Thursday at the Capitol. Representative Lynch, as leader of the House Republicans, let's start with you. Your fellow members stood up as a group and walked out of the chambers on the last day of the 2023 session in protest of what you said were tactics from the Democrats to silence debate. Has that anger you expressed then dissipated? And how are you feeling now at the start of this new year? Yeah, I don't know if anger is the right way to put it. We were at a, a dead stop in not being able to have voices be heard. And the usefulness for us on that floor had, had left the building. And so we joined it out front. It was uh, frustrating that, that rules that have not been in play, at least in my existence down here, and really for anybody that can remember, were pushed upon us, and uh, we just didn't think that was fair. I mean, uh, we still represent a, a large majority of the, the rural parts of this state. Those voices weren't being heard, and uh, we took that very seriously and uh, walked out. We weren't stomping out. We were frustrated, no doubt, but if that is the tactic that's going to be put on in silencing the voices of the folks that we represent, then you know, we needed to have some sort of uh, visible protest, and that's what that was. 
Have you met with leadership from Colorado's Democrat delegation to discuss any changes you think might help Republicans make their case? Uh, absolutely. I'm in constant conversation with the majority. Uh, they, they are, I, be, I hope, sincerely hope that they're sensitive to those sort of tactics being applied f- uh, towards the citizens. We don't look at it as a personal attack as a legislator. We, we're thick-skinned to be around here, but what really gets to us is when I've got an email that was sent from somebody in my district, and I no longer can read that. I cannot let that be entered into the record. It inhibits my ability to represent and to bring those voices down to the Capitol. So I am uh, optimistic that they are going to be sensitive to that and and really to the voices that I represent, and we can reduce the amount of uh, silencing of voices in this next session. Representative, some Democrats were angered by what they felt were inflammatory statements from a few Republicans regarding race, about transgender people, and those with physical disabilities. Do you feel any of your members overstep boundaries there? And do you have any plans in mind to avoid a similar situation this session? Yeah, I, I am very excited by the fact that a lot of those uh, sort of remarks are not coming from my side of the aisle, as we've seen during this special session. And so yeah, we are always sensitive to uh, the, the feelings of others, the concerns of others. Unfortunately, I see more of that from the other side uh, moving forward. Um, I don't think that we overstepped bounds in comparison to what we've seen as that bar has been raised now uh, from the other side. Senator, things were definitely calmer in the Senate last year, but given the Democratic majority there, as well, what leverage do you feel that you have to get your priorities accomplished this year? What's your plan for navigating that? I think the sense of some of the members of the House feeling that maybe their voices weren't being heard was um, an echo of what we saw happened in the election. The people of Colorado felt their voices weren't being heard. Raw political power controlled by the Democrats rammed through in the last several days of the end of the previous session, the 23 session, a bill, Senate Bill 303, that became HH. It went to the ballot and was defeated in a landslide by the people of Colorado. When they, the people of Colorado, had a chance for their voice to be heard, we saw what the political dynamic around that issue actually was. That, the voice of the people of Colorado, is what gives me, as a Republican leader, hope for authority inside this building. The reality that the Democrats have political control is out of step with the kitchen table issues and the things that the people of Colorado are feeling and dealing with. That is what gives Republicans hope for authority and engagement in this next session. You mentioned Proposition HH. That's the property tax measure that was on the ballot and failed. That's correct. What do you see as the key legislative priority for Republicans in the Senate for the new session? Relief relief from the economic challenges that we're confronted by, which have been exacerbated by bad Democrat policies, by excessive Democrat regulation. Where's one of the places we want to go to provide relief? We want to provide relief with more affordable housing. 
we must reform the construction defects laws in Colorado. The way those laws are set up today, they've got insurance companies saying it's five or six times more expensive to build a condominium than it is to build an apartment of the same size. So we're not getting homes that are affordable for people to buy. The first rung of the economic ladder, the first step of home ownership is not available because the construction defects laws are making them uninsurable. And since they're uninsurable, the builders and developers are saying, we're not going to risk our capital. We can't even get affordable insurance to build these. So we are going to bring construction defects litigation reform to this session to actually address this in a direct, honest, meaningful way. Representative Lynch, is there anything that House Republicans would add to that list of priorities? Yeah, absolutely. Our, our word in the House is security, whether that's financial security or security in in your own home when you are out on the streets of wherever you live in Colorado. Security is our word this session. And some of that comes from making sure that we have not forgot about the innocent people that are dying on our streets, dying. This is, this is an issue that is bigger than the inconvenience of not being able to buy a home. You can't do that if you're dead, if you are the victim of a fentanyl overdose. So we have to quit kicking the can down the road with getting good drug policies that come out of this state. And that comes from a really tough thing for this building to do, which is to admit that it has been wrong in some of the legislation previously. And legislation that was put forward in an effort to help people with a drug issue was taken from a perspective and a paradigm of uh, a world that is without fentanyl. And that is a paramount concern and the job of government is to at least keep people alive. Um, We can worry about the creature comforts of their life after that, uh, but security is what we're going to be focusing on this next session. Senator Lundeen, let's drill down on property taxes. Mm -hmm. Rising home values mean a lot of homeowners are going to see their property tax rates rise by double digits this year. Democrats passed a tax relief package last fall, which Republicans opposed. You and others said it didn't go far enough. What will you push for in this session? We had offered up language that would have given a deeper cut in taxes for residential property owners. We also offered up a reduction in property taxes for non-residential. The reality is businesses don't pay taxes. Businesses pass those taxes along to their consumers, to their clients, to the people they serve. And so that's also a tax cut for the people. Now, Democrats, because it was politically unpopular for them, chose to only make it about homeowners. Well, that's good, but it wasn't even a half a loaf. It was a few slices of bread. The reality is we need to get deeper property tax relief. So we'll offer up Um, for the conversation, and there is a task force that will be reporting back. We'll see what they have to say. But Republicans will also be offering up echoes of some of the ideas we brought forth previously, which is property tax relief and income tax relief. People of Colorado need relief from taxes. Another issue on property tax is uh, portability of the homestead exemption for seniors. 
Seniors in Colorado, after you've been in your home for 10 years, you get a tax advantage. Well, Republicans have said that should be portable because someone who's lived in their home long enough to become a senior and that value of that home has gone up and up, when they decide to downsize, they should be able to take that exemption with them. But it's not so under the law currently, and the efforts Republicans have brought to make that portable over the years has been batted down by our Democrat colleagues. Local governments actually collect and spend most of the property tax money. Should they have done more to lower rates and take care of this problem? Absolutely. And, and that, that is the, the role of those governments to be responsible with, with that money. Um, that is where the money is collected. That is where the citizens need to make sure that they realize that's where the money is being collected. And, you know, I want to make sure that we are not giving any sort of perceived notion that the state is discouraging municipalities from lowering their rates. Um, and, and that is the, the role and responsibility of those local municipalities. The cuts the legislature made in special session will only last a year. A statewide task force is meeting now and will make recommendations this spring for more permanent reforms. Senator Lundeen, is there something specific you'd like to see that group propose? Yeah, absolutely. You, you've correctly identified in this conversation that much of the property tax question is a local question, and that's good. But the state government does have a role in it. The state government sets the assessment ratio or the assessment rate. And for years, we had what was known as the Gallagher Amendment. It was put in place to keep people from being taxed out of their homes. Well, we're right back in a spot where people may be, once again, being taxed right out of their homes. So the thing that I want to see from that task force is predictability and manageability for the people who have homes. Also, for the small businesses of Colorado with regard to taxes. Representative Lynch, is there something they could suggest that would be an absolute deal breaker for you? I, I hope that it is not uh, similar to what we've seen before, which are committees that are put together and really all they do is have a committee that creates a narrative that fits the, the already pre-baked plan. And that is my biggest hope out of that commission, is that those voices that Republicans represent in these areas that are not in the Denver-Boulder corridor are heard and, and brought forward. I am not optimistic of that. Another issue that's moving to the forefront in Colorado is immigration. In the last year, the city of Denver has seen more than 31,000 migrants arrive from Venezuela. If the current pace continues, Mayor Mike Johnston says the city may have to spend more than $180 million to help them. Similar things are happening to a much smaller extent in other Colorado cities. So far, the state has given Denver about $8.5 million to deal with this. Senator Lundeen, what, if anything, do you want to add to that? Well, immigration policy starts at the borders between the United States of America and other countries. It's a federal issue. We need to actually solve the immigration laws. We need a functioning gate that allows the economy of the United States of America to function well with the labor that it needs. And we need secure borders where people can cross appropriately and legally, but not a flood of unanticipated, unmanageable people. New people that just showed up unexpectedly, that the public health apparatus was not lined up to take care of, that public safety wasn't lined up to take care of. It's a crisis for us to manage, 
but it's the responsibility of the federal government to deal with. Representative Lynch, your thoughts? Uh, it's really simple to me. If you don't want somebody to come to your house, don't send them an invitation. The mayor clearly needs to change the sanctuary city status. If you don't create an environment where these folks are making assumptions that they're going to be taken care of by the government, uh, then don't complain when you, know, you can't take care of them. Now, what's happened out of this building as well, as a, as a guy who hires and makes and manufactures stuff, uh, I would be really excited if I could hire some of these folks. But the minimum wage now is so high, you know, it's very hard to put some of those folks to work. So through legislation and through invitation, we have created a really bad situation for Colorado with these folks that are coming in. And really, if you don't want them to come, then don't invite them to come. That is a Denver issue. Unfortunately, it's becoming a state issue because these folks need to go somewhere. They need to go outside of Denver because they ran out of services in Denver. And you're now burdening all of the cities around the Front Range with this. If indeed the borders can be controlled, there are still tens of thousands of people already here. What do you propose doing with them? The border can be closed. We just haven't done that. We haven't had the political will to do that. The folks that are here will have to figure that out, and I believe that'll be a municipal issue. You know, we have systems in place at the state level to deal with folks that need help. It'll just be a a financial burden. It'll continue to be a burden. We'll have to make sure that that is funded or, or not, or we reduce the expectations of these individuals of what they can get out of the state. So... On a human level, you want to care for them. You, you, you need to care for them. But the reality is they are mostly here illegally. They've come in in a way that we're not set up as a society to support and sustain. It falls, I think, ultimately on the federal government to do its job. But on a human level, while they're here in the moment, you have no choice but to care for them. There are other human beings as well. Finally, Representative Lynch, just a bit more on politics here. You've announced that you're a candidate for the 4th Congressional District in Eastern Colorado. You join a really interesting list of contenders there, including Congresswoman Lauren Boebert, who currently represents the Western Slope, but recently announced she'll change districts for this race. Another candidate in the primary is your Republican colleague, State Representative Richard Holtorf. How will you balance your role in leadership with a congressional campaign against a colleague? Right. Well, first of all, all 65 of the members of the House of Representatives in Colorado were up for re-election. I just happen to be up for a different seat. Uh, That's the way I look at it. Uh, Who's in the field? You know, it's it's unfortunate that we've had an addition to the race that creates political theater uh, that only takes away from the voices of folks in that district and what they want their representative in D.C. to to bring back to the district. Um, That's the only unfortunate part about that. I entered that race after uh, Representative Boebert was already in it. And I am, you know, saddened by the fact that that now this is a race that is going to uh, not focus on the needs of the, our Colorado's 4th Congressional District. Instead, it, it brings in some political theater that I think will be uh, unfortunate. Senator Lundeen and Representative Mike Lynch, thank you both for talking with us. Uh, it's my pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you. State Senator Paul Lundeen of Monument leads Republicans in the Colorado Senate. Representative Mike Lynch heads the GOP caucus in the State House of Representatives. 
We spoke about their priorities for the upcoming session, which starts tomorrow, including tax policy, housing affordability, and public safety. Republicans are in the minority in both houses. They hold 12 of the 35 Senate seats and 19 of the 65 House seats. Tomorrow on Colorado Matters, CPR public affairs reporter Benta Berkland joins us as the legislative session begins. Thanks for joining us today and to the Colorado Matters team. Tyler Bender, Carl Bielek, Anthony Cotton, Pete Kramer, Andrea Dukakis, Rachel Estabrook, Michelle Fulcher, Matt Hers, Tom Hess, Michael Hughes, Chris Ketchum, Pedro Lumbraño, Shane Rumsey, Ryan Warner, and I'm Chandra Thomas-Whitfield. This is CPR News and KRCC. KRCC.